Where are you? Are you in bed? Or are you leaving the first human footprint on Mars? Are you jogging? Or are you about to pull off the heist of the century? Are you in your car? Or are you praying those red eyes in the darkness can't see you? Every time he sees me, his eyes light up. Audible. I can Get your almost first hear his heart free beat faster. Every word. He looks at me the same way he did when we first met. For him, the best. I love at first sight every day. For me, it's heartbreaking. Loving someone who's living with dementia is not easy. For support, advice, or to make a donation, visit DementiaSA.org. You're listening to Vuga Online. You are rocking with the best. Welcome to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. You tune to VUCA Online Radio, your inspiration radio station. The show is really about giving a platform to people in healthcare and also making sure that they have a voice. We are not going to be silenced anymore as healthcare people. It's about us understanding what it is that healthcare people do, healthcare practitioners, knowing that they have a very, very important role to play but also as people who use healthcare, do we understand what healthcare people do? Are we in charge of our own healthcare? Do we have jurisdiction over it? And a lot of topics in healthcare are not spoken about. More about me, I am Colleen Quist. I am very passionate about healthcare. As a master coach and a master mentor, it is very much about providing the platform, working in with healthcare practitioners, but also with the public. Today's show is all about menopause. And yes, that is normally a topic that maybe we wouldn't speak about. We wouldn't speak about on radio. But my guest today, you'll see, is awesome. She is going to be explaining a lot to us and taking away, you know, those questions that we always want to know. So when we're back, I'll introduce our guest. How do you know the life or personal coach you are about to work with is who they say they are? How do you know if they can do the job? At the Africa Board for Coaching, Consulting and Coaching Psychology, we can tell you. So, before you share your secrets and spend your money, check with us first. Visit www.abccp.com or call us on 012-751-7608. The ABCCP, the professional body for coaches. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. It's Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. Welcome back. You are tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. My guest today is a lady named Bev Thorogood, who is based in the UK. And she's going to be speaking to us about menopause. Welcome, Bev. Hello, Colleen. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Let's tell the audience a bit more about you. Okay, so now Bev is the founder. She's a founder. She's coach and also trainer. She has got 15 years experience in learning and development and a background in health and well-being. She's the director and founder of Floresco Training and author of The Business of Menopause, A Guide for Working Women. And she's dedicated to helping working women to continue performing at their best through menopause and beyond. So welcome again, Bev. Hi. Could you share more about you, you know, just about your background, not the menopause side? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm 56. I worked for many, many years in the UK for our Ministry of Defence, predominantly working for the Air Force. And when I turned 50, Colleen, I had my first hot flush <laughs> on my 50th birthday, which was a treat. Um, and that was my sort of first introduction to what I recognised as menopause. Um, what I wasn't aware of, and I think what many women aren't aware of, is that actually it had probably started five or six years earlier than that with symptoms that I wasn't familiar with as being menopause. So things like 
fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, migraines, uh, brain fog, you know, forgetting things and uh, just not being able to concentrate or keep information in my head as well as I could. But my hot flush was kind of, that was the indicator that, okay, we're starting with this. But actually for the next two years, I really, really struggled. All of those other, uh, I, I guess, mental health related symptoms really kicked in with a vengeance. And two years later, I ended up resigning from my job because I, I was so stressed. I wasn't coping. I felt like I was failing all of the time and second guessing every decision. And we had nothing in place within the MOD at that time in terms of education for either colleagues or for managers. We had no policy. And if I'm honest, I didn't ask for any help with what I was going through because I didn't recognize it fully as menopause. So, yeah, two, well, where are we now? That was March 2018 that I, I left my job. And I set up Floresco Training uh, as a coaching business, really, to help women with it from a health coaching point of view. And I started to do an awful lot of research around menopause, what it is, when it happens, why it happens, what's going on, and got a bit of a reputation, I think, as somebody who has expertise in menopause. And not long after I left work, a few months later, I was asked if I would deliver some menopause in the workplace training to help managers and colleagues understand what this was all about. And that was nearly four years ago. Um, and since then, I, that's what I do now, primarily for a living. My, my, my business is focused on menopause in the workplace. So I train or teach or educate, whichever way you want to put it, colleagues, managers, human resources um, teams to understand the impact of menopause. So basically, so women don't do what I did and, and walk away from a career when they're, I'd, you know, realistically at the, at the height of their, their value. Um, and it, in the UK alone, I don't know if you're aware of the statistic, 900,000 women, nearly a million women left their job last year alone because of menopause. That's quite shocking, isn't it? No, that's and I mean that's also a total huge talent pool that you're losing. Massive, yeah, absolutely. And we know that stress really, really impacts menopausal symptoms. So if you've got women who are in fairly senior roles with a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, then their their menopause symptoms are likely to be exacerbated because of it. So yes, you're absolutely right, Colin. We're losing really talented, experienced skillful women okay so let's back up and explain to the audience what is menopause what is a term called perimenopause mm. so we tend to talk about menopause don't we we talk about menopause in the workplace but menopause in reality is just a diagnostic line in the sand when our periods stop um, so from a from a sort of medical point of view you'd be classed as having reached menopause when you've been 12 months period free so you're not, you can't really diagnose menopause in advance. You've got to look back retrospectively. So menopause just means the ending of our periods. Perimenopause is what we're really talking about when we, when we talk about the symptoms and the implications of the impact of, of menopause. And perimenopause is the lead up to our period stopping when we're likely to be symptomatic. It's when the ovaries are starting to shut down, when no longer releasing um, an egg every month it gets a bit more sporadic our hormones the key hormones sort of estrogen testosterone progesterone start to fluctuate as the as the body starts to get ready for its journey to no longer being able to uh, to be reproductive um, and that perimenopausal period which by the way just means around the time of menopause peri means around the time of can start anywhere from sort of four years right up to as much as 10 or 12 years before a woman reaches menopause. So, and, and potentially women are, are symptomatic for a few years post-menopause as well. So in all, you know, it's not unusual for women to be perimenopausal for 10, 15, maybe even as much as 20 years in their lives. Okay, so fascinating. So what you're wanting to do then is to make talk about menopause, education, discussion. You're wanting to make it mainstream. Yes, absolutely. We want to normalize the conversation. I think there's been a, a, almost for generations and generations, menopause has been something that women just didn't talk about. Almost as though it was something to be ashamed of, like somehow your worth 
was gone. Your value to the world had gone once you were no longer able to produce babies. And I think that that massively is changing now. I think women are really starting to realise and, and not just realise, but be vocal about the fact that, you know, there is more to us than just our reproductive ability. We are bringing real value to the workplace. We know that workplaces that have a diverse workforce are more productive, they're more profitable, and we've got great talent to bring. So I think a lot of women are now thinking, I'm not going to keep quiet about this. This is a natural part of my life cycle, and it's not something I should be ashamed of. So I think it's normalising the conversation, taking away the mystery, and actually just making it as, as normal as you know having a birthday. We just we go through menopause. 100% of women do. And not not just cis women either, you know, this impacts trans people, non-binary people, but it impacts men as well. The more we talk about it, the more we normalise it, that just the easier it is for everybody. So it's fascinating to see as well that people are more able to speak about it now. Whereas before, I think it was almost menopause is something that happened to women and it's something that they endured. It was had to be put up with, but surely not spoken about. And, you know, maybe maybe chatted about over tea, but certainly not spoken about in a workforce, not spoken about at work. Yeah, I think there's always the fear that it makes other people uncomfortable. But, you know, this is a normal part of every woman's life cycle. So my thoughts are rightly or wrongly, if it makes somebody else uncomfortable, uh, me talking about something that is incredibly normal and natural actually that's that's their issue they need to get over um as a as a woman who's going through menopause I don't feel I should feel ashamed in any way and I certainly don't think the fact that I'm an older woman you know at 56 I've still got I'm only halfway through my life well perhaps a little bit over that (laughs) (laughs) unless I live until I'm 112 but you know potentially I've still got 30 years of value to bring to to the world I don't feel like I'm at the end of my uh, useful life. I don't feel ashamed for the fact that I'm going through menopause. And actually, you know, menopause, we tend to think of it as an issue that affects women of a certain age, women of my age. But menopause can happen from puberty onwards. You know, it it can happen to women at any age. It's certainly not an age-specific topic. And I think that's the other reason I think, Colleen, why it's been shrouded in a bit of uh, shame and mystery because we don't really value older women in the same way that we value youth. Um, and many cultures do. For many cultures, you know, the older women are like the elders, they're the, they're the wise women. And I think we need to get back to recognising that our role changes, but we still have huge amounts of value and wisdom, you know, and, and experience to bring. So before we go for a break, just to your point of we tend to think of it as an older woman. And I think as we're getting to that stage, it's almost like, oh, way ahead. I mean, I know even for myself, I would think, oh, plenty of years in the future. Don't have to worry about that now. And I know like when my mom had gone through menopause, it, it was like, oh, well, you know, not my issue yet. And then, you know, before you know it, you get there. But as you said, it's not like, oh, at 40 or 45 or 50. It can be at 22. Just depending on on the person involved. Yeah. So in in the UK, the average age for a woman to reach menopause is 51, but there are so many variables. The normal expected age range would be between sort of 45 and 55. But actually, if we consider that that's somebody reaching menopause, so no longer having periods, you could have a woman who is 46, for example, still on quite sort of the young end of that 10-year spectrum, (coughs) excuse me, But she could reach menopause at, say, 46, but her symptoms may well have started in her mid to late 30s. And it's very common, we're starting to realise more and more now, that the impact of particularly the the emotional and psychological and the cognitive symptoms are starting to kind of kick in in the late 30s, early 40s. So absolutely, it's not an older woman's issue. We know that the majority of those symptoms creep in a little bit insidiously but often in the late 30s and into the 40s and you're right in what you say you know when I turned 50 I still and I had my first heart flush I still thought oh I'm way too young for this I've got another five years or so yet surely 
but in reality, looking back, I think mine probably started about 44. Okay, so let's pop out for a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about symptoms. No one decides to go into debt. It creeps up on you. Slowly. Debt follows debt. Follows debt. Unless you do something about it. Face your debt problems before they cripple you. It's time to do something. The Africa Center for Work-Based Learning is a professional development center for professionals who aim to improve their professional standing. This means that the learning programs we run are more than just academic programs. They are work-based programs that focus on leveraging your current experience as a professional to build your overall profile. A year down the line, the Africa Center for Work-Based Learning is developing into a preferred center for professional development in Pretoria, with eight professional development faculties including accounting, teaching, entrepreneurship, as well as IT and many more. For more information, go to acwbl.org or dial plus 27127517608, the Africa Center for Work-Based Learning, where work is learning. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. It's Buga Online, your inspiration radio station. Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. Today we are speaking about menopause. And we're specifically talking about menopause in the workplace. And how menopause is not going to be hidden anymore. It's not going to be a secret. It's not going to be shrouded in silence of, shh, we can't talk about it. Women, and not only cis women, trans women, are now saying that we need to be educated. We need to be comfortable with speaking about it. And today I have got Bev Tharagood, Tharagood, sorry, Bev Tharagood speaking to us about menopause and how we actually make it mainstream. So Bev, let's talk about symptoms because I think sometimes, you know, you, you've spoken about your hot flush. Not all women have hot flushes. No, absolutely. About 70% of women do. And for those that do, they can be quite debilitating. You know, there, um, there are implications from hot flushes. You know, when our, when, when our body gets hot, uh, it impacts things like uh, we can get dizzy, we can find that we get headaches, it can increase anxiety. But actually, yes, although they, they tend to be the stereotypical symptom, they're just one of around about 40 different symptoms so if we think about what's going on as the ovaries are shutting down we're losing key hormones we're losing estrogen progesterone and testosterone and those fluctuations as they drop they don't go in a nice linear sort of decline they tend to be up and down like a roller coaster and particularly estrogen we have estrogen receptors on just about every cell in the body and as we lose estrogen it can have an impact on so many different functions. So I say more than sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, 40 different symptoms. And we can kind of categorize them in three areas. So we've got the physical symptoms, things that we're aware of, you know, things like hot flushes, night sweats. Uh, but we've also got psychological and emotional symptoms. So anxiety, low mood, depression, rage, anger, uh, tearfulness, all of those sort of mood related uh, symptoms. And then we've got the cognitive ones, which we kind of call brain fog, but they encompass so many um, difficulties, things like word recall issues, verbal fluency problems, concentration and attention problems, short term memory. When you just, you know, literally you've spoke, we could have this conversation and 10 minutes later completely forget that we've had it. That's very, very common. And many women feel like they're getting early onset dementia when actually it's the impact of hormones. And if we look at the physical symptoms, there are some that we just wouldn't necessarily relate to menopause. So, you know, would you have thought tinnitus or a ringing in the ears had anything to do with perimenopause or heart palpitations or panic attacks, insomnia, digestive issues, urinary tract infections, restless legs, 
dry eye syndrome. You know, there are there are so many. And if you think about the fact that estrogen is present on just about every cell, if that's the area that's being um, deprived of estrogen, that's where we're going to see the symptoms show up. So it's quite difficult, I think, for women, especially in the early part of perimenopause, to join the dots and realize that actually the migraine and the itchy skin and the urinary tract infection are all connected to one um, overarching condition. And I hear so many women say, you know, I just, I felt like I was falling apart. I felt like a hypochondriac because I had all of these different symptoms going on and my GP didn't pick up that they were connected and I didn't make the connection. But yeah, many, many symptoms. And the symptom that is often overlooked is is the pain in the legs. You know, um, certainly that for me was something that I experienced, but then of course didn't link it to menopause, perimenopause. It was something totally different. Yeah, joint pain and muscle pain, muscle cramps, all very, very common. And there's something about, um, you know, in your introduction, you talked about uh, a little bit sort of taking responsibility for our healthcare. And I think for me, the biggest change came when I started to take responsibility to do my research and understand what was happening to me. Um, because when you hear somebody say there are 40 symptoms or more of uh, related to perimenopause and they range from all these you know, horrible symptoms, it can be terrifying. But once you take control and you actually do your research and realize, well, yeah, OK, there's, there are lots of symptoms, but they're all perfectly normal side, sort of side effects of low, low hormones. And actually, there's things I can do to to manage these symptoms that's not only reassuring, but it's really quite empowering because it puts you in the driving seat of how you manage those symptoms. Um, I always think that the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge is terrifying. But once you know what you're dealing with, you can kind of put yourself in the driving seat and you can deal with what's going on. I think it's also easy as a person who hasn't experienced a symptom so for me, like I'd never ever seen a hot flush or experienced one. But when I saw a friend of mine go through one of those and I was sitting next to her and I thought, whoa, okay. You then have a better understanding of, you know, if that happens a few times or lots of times a day, what the person is experiencing. Mm. It's interesting. In the UK yesterday, one of our um, members of parliament took a what they call a meno vest so it's it simulates a hot flush and she made some of her oh she didn't make them she asked a few of her male colleagues to try these on and they were amazed at the 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 fact that it's not just getting hot it's like a volcanic eruption when you have a hot flush and it's they they can be really quite debilitating if you can imagine you know you're about to stand up in a briefing or a meeting and give give a, a talk and suddenly you get this volcanic eruption of heat rushing through your body and you can feel your your, your face um, heating up and getting red and your heart, your palms getting hot, your body sort of really, really burning up. You can imagine how distracting and anxiety inducing that must be. And it was interesting getting the male responses and how it was so, um, it, it was so good to see them really understand that it's not just about getting a little bit hot it's actually, you know, it's a full body experience and it's very unpleasant. It's certainly, I mean, I could see the full body experience in my friend. But as you said, it's not like, oh, but hot in here, you know, it is that volcanic eruption. Hmm. But the problem so is I was very some... grateful that I never had one of those. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. The problem is there are so many symptoms and every woman is very unique. So you could be chatting to your best friend about their experience and thinking, well, that's not been my experience. So maybe this isn't perimenopause. When in reality, you know, with so many different symptoms, it's a bit like, you know, throwing a deck of cards in the air and seeing what comes down. You know, we're all going to be very different. We're going to experience it very differently. Uh, and there's no one size fits all either when it comes to sort of uh, managing symptoms, because obviously what you need in order to manage a hot flush might be very different to what you need if you're struggling with anxiety. So understanding that there is this vast range of symptoms and that not everybody reacts in the same way, again, gives you that reassurance that, okay, well, I might not be the same as, you know, Jean over there or Gail over there, but this is my experience and I I can deal with this. 
So 40 different types of symptoms. We get different combinations of them. So actually no two women are the same. Um, but what you've said about is, is that the more we educated it, the more we speaking about it, the more we saying, okay, um, we, the, we are more likely to recognize it. So we're then taking ownership of our own health. And you've said that there are things that we can do. Mm -hmm. Could you talk to us about what it is that we could do about these symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's various ways we can go. And a lot of this is going to come down to personal preference. But without a doubt, we know that hormone therapy, hormone replacement therapy is safe and effective for the, the vast majority of women. And it's the most effective treatment, certainly for hot flushes, without a doubt, if that's the issue. But hormone replacement therapy, uh, modern hormone replacement therapy can be so helpful in managing things like insomnia, getting you energy back, uh, managing the, the psychological symptoms, also dealing with the physical symptoms as well. We know that when women are taking hormone replacement therapy, they're potentially protecting their heart, their, their bones from osteoporosis. And there's some evidence coming through to show that even um, brain function can be protected against things like dementia and Alzheimer's. There's not fully enough research there to show that it has a direct benefit. But when we look at how the body processes uh, estrogen and the fact that it's a neurotransmitter and the brain fog that we see, it makes sense that if we're replacing the thing that is missing, it's likely to be beneficial. So we know that HRT is probably the number one most effective treatment. But there are certainly lifestyle factors that make a difference. You know, getting enough sleep, prioritizing your sleep, managing your stress, finding ways to reduce stress. Obviously, there's not always a way that you can get rid of all the stresses in life, but things like meditation, mindfulness, breathing exercises can help to manage stress. Um, but eating a good nutritious diet, a, a predominantly sort of plant-based, unprocessed diet. So avoiding sort of highly processed, ultra-processed foods, making sure we've got good gut health can, can help with, uh, with symptoms. Getting enough exercise, prioritizing things like strength training. So we maintain our muscle mass. And again, a, a lot of times, you know, people find that exercise helps to manage stress all of those sort of lifestyle factors can, can help. Then we've got non-medical treatments as well. So a lot of complementary therapies can be helpful, things like acupuncture, reflexology, um, hypnotherapy. Again, a lot of the times because it's managed, helping to manage our stress, helping us to relax. Um, and then talking therapies as well, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, those kind of um, non medical talking therapies have got a lot of uh, a lot of evidence behind them to show that even though they're, they're kind of dealing with the, the thoughts and, and feelings side of us, they can actually really help with physical symptoms as well as just the psychological ones. So so really lots of ways that we can we can manage our symptoms. And many women find that taking hormone replacement therapy, even just for a couple of years to get through that um, the maelstrom of symptoms that they may be experiencing is a is a game changer. You know, it gives them their life back, and it's not necessarily for everybody. But we know that a lot of the the risks that we've been taught uh, over the last twenty years around hormone therapy, in the main, have been over um, sort of overblown. The risks are actually quite minimal for most women. So thank you for that, that, they, that we don't have to be powerless. There are different options out there. We're going to talk more about the risks when we come back. Listen to this. Up against the wall. <laughs> Took you long enough. Spit him. Whoa, that's a little rough. Oh. <sighs> and now the same thing in pink. Up against the wall. <laughs> Took you long enough. <laughs> Spit him. Oh, that's a little rough. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. Mm. If a color can make something sound kinky, imagine how it can make it look. Metal paints, the right color matters. Visit metalpaints.coza. Broadcasting worldwide, online, 24-7. It's Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. Welcome back. You're tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. Today we're talking about menopause. 
We're specifically talking about menopause and how to make it mainstream conversation. We're specifically talking about menopause in a workplace. My guest today is Bev Thurgood, and she has been taking us through what it means to be, to, to experience menopause, and also has emphasized the fact that menopause is really one year after your period stop. And so we don't know when that's going to be. We have to like work backwards from when it does actually happen. But to say that the symptoms up to menopause are things that affect women from sometimes maybe from 10 years before that. We have spoken about the symptoms of menopause and also to say that you aren't powerless. There are lots of different options that you can try. The main one, though, being HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, because as she said, there are three different hormones that are affected in menopause. That is something that has changed now, Bev, where before it was, oh, can't do HRT because of the risks attached to it. But I'm seeing now that the risk, as you said, has been overemphasized and that more and more women are now being prescribed HRT. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a medical practitioner, so um, I'm certainly not sort of coming at this as a a medical or or a healthcare professional. But having done an awful lot of research um, and looking at the information that is now being um, put out by people like the British Menopause Society, the International Menopause Society and the North American Menopause Society, there, uh, there seems to be now a consensus that the risks have been exaggerated in the past and the benefits have often been overlooked. So there's been a bit of a sea change in the last 18 months to two years in the popularity of HRT as more people, I think, are becoming aware that maybe they've been sold a bit of a lie around the risks. Um, This all came about predominantly from a study that was done in in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, called the Women's Health Initiative Study which discovered that there was a potential risk of an increased um, risk of breast cancer related to combined hormone replacement therapy. Uh, That study has been reviewed and looked at many, many times since and found to be flawed. For a start, they were looking at very old styles of synthetic hormone replacement therapy. And also the the study um, subjects were generally about 10 or 12 years post-menopause when they were being studied and often had other comorbidities uh, that weren't being taken into account. So the current guidance now is that actually HRT, for the vast majority of women, the benefits outweigh the risks. There is a small increased risk of breast cancer um, if you take combined HRT, which is estrogen and progesterone together. The risk comes from the progesterone element but now there's, there's a, um, a plant-based progesterone, a non-synthetic progesterone that in the UK is marketed as under the name of Eutrogestin. I'm not sure what it is in other, in other countries, but it's a micronized progesterone. And we believe from studies coming through that actually that body identical, that, that plant-based micronized progesterone doesn't carry the same breast cancer risk. We know that for women who start HRT, prior to them reaching menopause, so before their periods are finished, while they're still in perimenopause, their risk for breast cancer actually goes down. So a lot of the, the, I guess, the misinformation, the misunderstanding that we've had around menopause has scared a lot of women. It's it's put people really, you know, it's put people off trying uh, HRT as a menopause management tool for fear now my mum actually died of breast cancer when she was 54 and I was 22 so I went into this with my eyes wide open probably quite um convinced I couldn't take it now having done the research and I I look at the benefits so we know that hormone replacement therapy those women who take HRT are protecting their heart the the risk for heart disease goes down in women who take HRT We know that the risk for osteoporosis, brittle bones, goes down in those women that take HRT. And I'm fairly convinced from the the evidence that's coming through now that there's a potential benefit in our brain function and cognition. And therefore, we could potentially be protecting ourselves from dementia and Alzheimer's. And for me, you know, breast cancer 
whilst it's a horrific, horrific um, disease, but it's highly treatable now that the, the, you know, the medical professions can really treat um, a, a breast cancer well. And it's way, way down the list of diseases that kill women, heart disease, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, are more likely to shorten your life really than breast cancer. So for me, it's about taking a look at all of the facts and making an informed decision about whether it's the right choice for you. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, judgment for some reason around HRT with women who think it's the wrong choice, vilifying those who take it and vice versa. And for me, it's really about personal choice and nobody else. You know what your mum thinks or what your sister thinks or what your best friend thinks is really irrelevant if it feels right for you, whatever that choice is, whether it's to go down that route or not, it should be an individual choice without judgment. Um, the big problem, I think, for me is that many women won't even explore it because of this underlying fear around, around a risk that really is, is way, way lower than, than they maybe perceive. Yes, it is about an informed choice. And exactly as you've said, it's about each woman making that informed choice only for her body mm -hmm. and not saying, oh, but I did this, therefore you must do that too. Or, oh, what's wrong with you? Why? You know, um, yes. So let's look now about where we said, let's talk about menopause in a workplace. Let's teach, educate, discuss whatever word we use. So for our CEOs or our HR department or whoever's listening to us right now, they probably find thinking, what, where do I start? So where do they start and why should they start? Mm. I think the, the why is quite clear. 900,000 women in the UK alone leaving the workplace because of uh, menopause and not feeling they get the support that they need. We're a, we're a small island. If it's 900,000 in the UK, that's going to extrapolate to different countries as well. We're not unique. Um, so that the why really is, you know, why would you why would you risk losing all of that talent? That doesn't make sense. It's an economic, you know, massively a, a, um, an economic drop from not just for the company, but for the, for the country as a whole. You know, we, we need to hang on to that that female talent. In terms of the what, what can they do? Um, I think awareness, first and foremost, raising awareness is key. If we don't know about a problem, we can't fix it. Not that I'm saying we can fix menopause, it's not a problem to fix, but we can fix the problem of women leaving the workplace. So awareness, I think, is key, and that's through education. Um, whether that's through just you know, bringing somebody like myself in to talk about what this is, or running in-house programs where we just, you know, have ed uh, communications going out that, that kind of raise awareness, poster campaigns, site places on an intranet where you can post um, information about menopause. Whatever that looks like, just getting people talking, opening the door to make it easy for people to talk about this. But there are other things that we can do, things like, you know, having a policy in place. It's not mandatory, certainly not in the UK. I don't think it's mandatory anywhere for companies to have a dedicated menopause policy. But actually, by having a policy or at least having good guidance, it means that employees can see that the, as an organisation, they recognise that menopause is potentially an issue for some women. And I have to be careful because it's not an issue for every woman. We can't say that all women going through menopause will have problems, but we need to be aware that for some they will. And that um, a policy in, in many ways just gives that reassurance that it's a recognised issue and I'm OK to talk about this. If I ask for help, there's a policy there that's going to support me. There's a policy there that's going to help my manager to understand what it is he needs to or she needs to do. And therefore, you can feel safe asking for help without fear of it being career limiting, because I think that's what most women who don't open up about menopause in the workplace worry about, that they're going to be negatively judged, that's going to affect their career in some way, that it's going to affect their progression, that they may be sort of overlooked for, for promotions, for, for projects. So it's about kind of creating that 
safe space that women are able to say, look, I'm really struggling here. The other thing that companies can do really is recognize that workplace adaptations for menopause are really, really quite simple, quite cheap, and can make a huge difference. So maybe looking at working patterns, is there a way we can have a more flexible working pattern? So if somebody's had a really bad night where maybe they've had 10, you know, 10 or 12 night sweats and they've been awake and up and having to get changed in the night and they've maybe only had an hour's sleep, they've got the flexibility to be able to rig in and say, look, I've had a really, really bad night. Can I work from home today? Or, you know, can I can I start later and catch up? Having access to to fresh air in the workplace, what cool, cold water if they need it. Thinking about uniform policies, are uniform policies restrictive? Um, can they be um, relaxed a bit? When you've got um, when you look at the infrastructure in your building, is it difficult? Is it is there fresh air? Is there air conditioning? Is there the ability to take regular breaks? You know, none of this is difficult none of it is expensive but it can be the difference between whether somebody feels like they're unable to carry on or that they can actually cope with what they're doing but also you know having access to good medical help so if organizations have got an employee assistance program in place or or access to um, uh, healthcare, does it cover menopause does it enable women to go and get some additional help that maybe they can't get from their their own doctor if they if they don't have that skill. So there's loads and loads of ways that businesses can help. But the biggest thing, I think, is to make it accessible to speak about menopause, make it safe to open up and talk about it. And that's about culture. I've seen that on your LinkedIn, you've got a menopause workplace checklist, which talks about all the different factors under culture, systems, training, and environment. So that is also a great place to start because sometimes we just don't think about these things. Yeah, I created the checklist. It's it's a very simple one-page audit, really, where you can kind of print it off, have a look, and tick those boxes that you've already got in place because actually many organizations probably already are doing quite a lot without realizing that they're doing it. But it also means that you can have a look and think, well, actually, our systems and processes are quite detrimental to those going through menopause and we hadn't thought about it or we haven't got training in place. Maybe that's something we could think about. Or looking at the culture, well, actually, are our senior leadership teams aware that menopause is an issue? Do we need, you know, as an HR professional, for example, do I need to manage upwards here and actually help the 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 slt or the you know the senior leaders understand the potential um impact if they don't support this so the the checklist really is exactly that it's a one-page audit uh, a snapshot of where are we at at the moment and what maybe that will help to direct the next step because we are looking at something that's still very new in the workplace you know that i think Five, five, six years ago, I don't think we'd have been having conversations in the workplace about menopause. So there's been a huge sea change in the last, as I say, I've been doing this four years, and I've seen a massive increase in the number of businesses that are actually opening up to the idea that we need to do more about this. Okay, so just before we pop out to a break, that is also that you said that there's been a change. I'm also seeing as well that, you know, like your training the other day where you had all men in your training on menopause. Yeah, unheard of. (laughs) Unheard of. But but exciting in that it's Mm -hmm. that people are actually embracing that this is natural, it's normal, let's talk about it, let's be educated, let's be informed rather. Um, And there's no such thing of, oh, that's not a, a men's topic to talk about. It's an everyone. It's a people topic. It's a, it's a human topic. Absolutely. Yes. And actually, I think it's one of the things that I got from the all male session. It wasn't meant to be an all male session. It was open to everybody, but we did just have men come on the call. Hearing the male perspective, I think sometimes we're very quick to listen to the female perspective because, of course, we're experiencing it. 
that men in, we have men in our lives and it impacts them as well. And, and they need to have their voice heard as well. And one of the, the things that came out was, you know, one of the one of the men said, I feel like I don't I'm not allowed to to ask about this. I feel like I it, 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 the door's closed on me. I thought, well, that's really sad. We need to make it easy for our male colleagues and the men in our life to be able to ask and to be able to find out what we're going through because they're not going to experience it firsthand. The only way they can understand is if we tell them. Uh, And so opening the door for that dialogue, I think, is so important and understanding what our male colleagues, our male, the men in our life want to hear so they can understand and help. Hey Bev, so on that encouraging note, let's go for a break. If you're enjoying this interruption and find the sound of my voice captivating, you may be experiencing extreme boredom. Try new, fast-acting Subaru Impreza in hatch or sedan, formulated with symmetrical full-time all-wheel drive. Cure boredom fast with new Impreza. Voga Online Radio, your inspiration radio station. Welcome back. You are on Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. And we're talking about menopause today. The guest is Bev Thorogood, and she has been giving us a fascinating look into all things perimenopause, menopause, the symptoms, the fact that different people have got different symptoms. We don't, we're not all the same. Um, and we've just been chatting now about how men need to be included and how her last training session was had all men. Um, she's also spoken about that you don't know what a hot flush feels like until you've you felt one. Um, and so, so um, a colleague of hers, colleagues, decided they would hop in and try it and very surprised to find that it's not, you're just a little bit hotter. But of course, not all women have hot flushes. They have very other different symptoms. But let's talk now, just in closing, about how menopause affects sexual drive your sexual health desire? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're starting to realise more and more that the role of testosterone, which we tend to think of as a male hormone, um, actually impacts women as well. So as our testosterone levels fall, it has a similar impact on our sex drive, on our libido. Um, and it feels a little bit like, the sex drive for women is almost from a medical point of view, not treated with the same importance as it is for men. You know, I think certainly in the UK, and I, I, I don't want to sound flippant, but there is a little element of cynicism in here. If men struggle with sex drive, they can buy Viagra over the counter in the pharmacy. Women can't even get testosterone easily as a hormone replacement for their lost hormones. And if they do, in England in particular, we have to pay privately generally because it's not available. It's not licensed for women in the UK. So it feels a little bit like the medical world prioritizes the male sex drive over the female sex drive. And that that is wrong. You know, that 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 needs to change. And for a lot of women, you know, that as they go through perimenopause and we're not talking about old women. Remember, we've already said we're talking about women in their potentially their late 30s, early 40s. So, you know, your sex life is an important part of your of your your life. It's an important part of your relationships, and many women find that they they just lose their sex drive completely. Not all of them. Some find that as they go through menopause, actually their sex life blossoms because they 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 lose some of the fear around you know getting pregnant and the hassle of periods. But lots and lots of women do find that their their sexual drive goes down. And it's not just an emotional and psychological drive. If you've got things like vaginal discomfort, vaginal dryness, which is very, very common for many women in in sort of peri and post menopause, that can make it uncomfortable. But also stress. We know that if you're very stressed, that will have an impact on your sex drive. Um, There are so many factors going on. um, And testosterone has, has been shown actually to to help with libido. There are psychological um, things that may need to be uh, explored as well, but we do know that testosterone can help. So I think the take home from all that you've spoken to us about, and I think that there's a massive amount that can't be covered just in one show, but 
I think for me, the take home message that I'm getting is, is that if we speak, if we ask questions, if we discuss in the workplace to our friends, to everybody, we, we will increase our knowledge and also find the solution that will work for each of us. It's about breaking down barriers, really, and, and uh, making making it an accessible conversation and taking away the fear and the taboo. Uh, unfortunately, I think there is still an element of stigma around being a menopausal woman. Um, we link a lot of that to age. You know, this sort of this idea, as I said earlier, that that women over a certain age have less value in the world. That that's a societal norm. We need to move away from. Um, and start to value women for the, the, the wisdom that they bring. But yes, the, the, the more we talk about it, the more we normalise it, the more women will be able to go and access the help that they need so that they can continue to thrive. And I have to say, Colleen, I think um, sometimes we think that uh, if women are struggling through menopause, it means they, they can't do stuff. But actually, you know, I left my job at 52 because of menopause Four years later, I'm running a successful business despite menopause. It doesn't mean we can't do. We just need to get the right help. Um, and we can get that not just from medical help, but also from sorting out our own headspace and realizing that, OK, this is going on. It's not going to stop me. And there are some amazing women out there doing amazing things in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's absolutely not the end of the road. It's the start of whatever we want the next chapter to look like. So I think it's a very empowering time. It's not the end of the road. Okay. So thanks so much for that. Yes, certainly an empowering, uplifting, inspiring in that there are solutions. Make a point today to go and ask your HR department for a talk about menopause. And for that, thank you very much. Thank you, Bev. Thank you. I've now given HR departments heart failures. Go watch. All your people are coming. They're going to come ask. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much. You've been tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. We've been talking about menopause, and we have been making sure that we make it a mainstream topic that anybody is comfortable to talk about. Thank you. The home of inspiration every every day. Most people give up on themselves easily. You know the human spirit is powerful. From news. Countries across the globe have been hit by the COVID-19 virus. Views. There's a global trend uh, to see an increase in GBV incidences, specifically domestic violence. 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 Sports. What do you say? It's a really good ball. It's Shabalala. And music to inspire you every day. This is Vuga Online, your inspiration radio station. Since 2017, we are proud to associate ourselves with some of the best jazz music in the country and the continent. Sposiso Mashilwane, Zoe Mudiha, Tujuzo Makatini, Tandinduli, Tabang Tabani, and many others. This year, we are at it again. So we invite musicians, music companies, radio stations, jazz clubs to nominate yourselves and those who deserve recognition. Visit www.zajazzawards.co.za Then come and join us. Whether online or face-to-face, come and celebrate, venerate and recognize jazz with us for the Zansi Jazz Awards. See you there.